Worldview Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we are here to talk to you about a subject near and dear to the heart of every developer, nerd wars. Right. It's the, the term that we just kind of made up, so why don't we explain what that is. Right. So it's the, it's the age-old practice of constantly arguing with each other about things that sometimes make a difference and sometimes are important and sometimes really don't make any difference. And, and more often make absolutely no difference at all to anything. Right, right. So what we're talking about here are things like syntax, spacing, indentation, bracing, where you put your braces, which files you choose to put your different pieces of code in. So it's kind of all about uh, organization and structure of your code. And this is not just a concern that is something that's important to Swift or JavaScript. It's really something that's that's quintessential to every language that you might choose to program in. Um, and, and of course, they all have their own conventions. Um, but this idea and, and this sort of age-old argument seems to happen regardless of what language you choose to code in. Um, everybody has an opinion about sort of everything. Uh, and what we would like to do today is to kind of help you as a new developer wade through some of that and understand maybe what parts of this do matter and what parts you know make a difference and what parts really are just sort of your personal preference or your personal opinion about how you should do something. Right. And to start off, syntax is clearly something that's a, a feature of a language. And that's something that if you get in an argument about, you're arguing with the computer. And so you lose. Right. So yes, there are things that you pretty much have to do because the computer requires it uh, or the, you know, the language itself has rules that specify how things are going to be expressed. And that's usually called syntax, um, sometimes also grammar, uh, because we're, we're borrowing words from traditional languages, right? Uh, because it's true that languages do have both a syntax and a grammar. Um, and uh, so those kinds of things are things that you do need to do, because if you don't do them, the language won't be understood properly by the computer. And then, of course, it can't execute what you want. And that's the kind of thing like variable names in any language I can't think of cannot have spaces in the middle of them. And then for some kind of things, maybe you can have a dash in the middle, and sometimes maybe you can't because that gets interpreted as a minus sign. Right. So there are things that, uh, for example, like in, in Swift, you can't begin a variable with a number. Right. So there's just some things that you're just not allowed to do. Um, and if you try to do them, you will actually get uh, an error in your editor, um, or you might get an error at runtime depending on how the system uh, interprets your code and, and uh, looks at it and makes sure that it's accurate. Uh, for example, like in Swift, we use a language we use a language called Swift, and it is compiled for iOS. So that means that Xcode does uh, some checks as soon as you write the code, and if you've not written it correctly according to the rules that are specified, it will throw an error. Whereas with JavaScript, you can have I think there are editors right for JavaScript that you can use that will kind of give you heads up. Right, the red squiggly lines underneath a thing that it wants to point out to you that hey, that doesn't look right. Right. But really, the, the errors don't actually occur for real, typically until it gets executed, because JavaScript is what's called an interpreted language. Mm -hmm. and so it just, it just works a little bit differently in the way the computer chooses to read and understand it. But the, the point really is the same, which is that there are things that you just simply must follow because that is the rule of the language. Um, and those are the kinds of things you can look up. That's, that's kind of the easiest part, because hopefully there are rules somewhere that specify all these things, right? And you can just kind of look look them up and understand them. And, and uh, I would say of the things we're going to talk about today, that's kind of 
these are the, the lowest of the hanging fruit, right? Because And really we're only we're only talking about those to distinguish them from the things we actually want to talk about. Because syntax and grammar, that's just the way things are. And unless you get to write the language yourself, you can't do anything about it. Right. So those are the kinds of things that uh, we're going to now move beyond because those things are, are hopefully for you the easiest to solve because, like we said, the computer should help you out. So the, the rest of this are things like spacing, uh, indentation, where you choose to put your braces if your language uses braces um, to organize code. Tabs versus spaces. Yes, tabs versus spaces, the age-old problem that will probably never be resolved uh, in the community. <laughs> spaces. Um, yeah, I'm spaces, spaces is well. the answer. Yeah. How, how many spaces though? Two, two. Yeah, two is good. All right, uh, good. We finally fixed that. We one. finally so we we've solved it right here on this podcast. Um, interestingly, Xcode actually recommends four spaces. Xcode kind of is wrong. Default. Xcode is uh, wrong. And I've been a four space guy for a while, but I've recently kind of come around to the idea that two is better because it's you know it's more horizontally compact. Right. And what what we're talking about here is. A, Anytime you look at a computer program, you'll see a lot of indentation, like if you get inside a for loop or if you get inside an if conditional or something, typically you'll have indentation to indicate when you've gone inside the the kind of logical control structure versus when it ends. And because most languages don't really specify how much indentation there should be, or even if there should be any at all, developers get to choose. And when you have two or more developers choosing something, you'll get three or more opinions about what the right answer is. Yes, it is at least n plus one. Yes, <laughs> on the opinions. Um, yeah. So what we're talking about is that we prefer uh, two spaces to to use as indentation, um, and the other way to do it would be to use a tab character to indent things. So that's when we say tabs versus spaces. We mean how is the computer going to choose to do indentation? Is it going to use spaces to do that, or is it going to use actual tab characters? And you might think, why does anyone care? Right? Why is this an even remotely important? Uh, to the you know development of your of your software, and the real answer is that it shouldn't really matter that much. <laughs> but for some reason, it's something that we like to endlessly argue about as a community. Um, so this is what we're talking about: th these kinds of things, right? And we want to be able to just uh, differentiate between things that are uh, really a requirement, like syntax and grammar, right? You just you can't get around following those rules. You must follow them to to build code that works. And then there's this, uh, there's a, a second level and a third level of, of things that we'll get into. Um, and so this is what we're going to try and do is is help you understand the differences there and, and know when someone else is talking to you about these things, how you might navigate that conversation, uh, you know, successfully. So things like spacing, indentation, braces, so in, in Swift anyway, and I think JavaScript works pretty much the same way, to, to create a block of code, to create a, a collection of instructions that will be executed together, either in a function or just like in an if statement or something. You typically bound that block of code with a set of curly braces. Um, and where you choose to place those braces, you will, might be surprised to learn, actually does make a difference in the sense that people will argue about it. Whether it actually oh, matters for vigorously, real, yeah, right, is is not that necessarily important. But but uh, but people love to argue about where to put those. And there are names for the two styles, and I can never remember which. Basically, it's whether the brace goes on its own line or kind of connected to the end of the thing that is announcing the opening of the brace. Like, do you say, if yada yada, brace all in the same line? Or do you say, if yada yada, new line, brace there? Right. And there, you actually may not be surprised to learn there's actually more than two styles. There. Oh, <laughs> there's, heaven. There's like six, I think, at least. What? Um, but uh, we'll, we'll put the Wikipedia link for indentation into the show notes 
so you can check it out. Um, but the the two predominant ones tend to be uh, K and R style, which is what you talked about first. Um, that's Kernigan and Ritchie, which are the two programmers that uh, it's named after. They they were helped to develop the C programming language, so they're kind of you know grandfathers in the sense right. in they, the programming world of, of of being pioneers early on and and building some of the earliest software that we cho- we chose to work with. Um, and that's where you put the brace at the end. And then there's um, almond bracing, which is the bracing style that you talked mm-hmm. about a second. From the Almond Brothers, the, from, the great 70s rock group uh, band. <laughs> so actually, it's from, I don't unfortunately remember his first name, but but the the almond that we're talking about is a programmer. And he was the developer of SendMail, which is the um, the algorithm that is used to send email. Oh. So... As you can imagine, a pretty important right. part of of the software world, something that we all use uh, all the time, um, and so it's named after him. And that's where you put the brace on the next line. Uh, and again, you might think, why does this matter? It doesn't really matter. Um, but we love to argue about it endlessly on the pros and cons. It's really impressive that Allman managed to create such a, an important and and widely used feature of uh, of you know computers and email and stuff even while he was crippled by his incorrect brace placement so <laughs> kudos yes kudos to you well, sir overcoming despite, your self-imposed despite, handicap despite that handicap <laughs> you still managed to, to achieve greatness uh so i might disagree with you on that oh yeah i generally like almond bracing better um but uh what i've kind of come around to actually more recently in in my personal coding style. I don't do this for, for school because I want to kind of give them uh, the the predominant, um, the, the prevailing convention, which at least in the Swift world is K&R, is to put it at the end of the line, not okay. on the new line. Uh, but what I found is that I actually like uh, Almond for most things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually use, I employ K&R or, you know, end of the line bracing um, for closures, which closures are, it's just an anonymous function that you can you can pass a function into some, into another uh, into another function, or you can store it in a variable. Um, and so, for those, I like to use uh, end of the line bracing. And what I found is actually by mixing them together, um, it, it makes it even clearer uh, to me, anyway. Okay, to delineate sort of, which is which. Yeah, like we have if statements, for loops, and we have methods or functions, right? Class delineations, and then we've got specifically like the closure thing, which is kind of a different animal. Um, so I find that that stark difference in style to actually be useful to me when I'm trying to uh, you know differentiate and read my code. And to be to be honest, that is what we're talking about ultimately, right? Like th- that's what all this boils down to is these things that are not absolute requirements of the language, like syntax and grammar, but instead the things like spacing, indentation, bracing, that kind of stuff. It's all about just helping you understand your code better and read it better, read it more quickly, you know, ingest these ideas and, and um, uh, you know, and coalesce it in your brain into a, into a single sort of thought, right? Um, and so that's when we say that it doesn't really matter, what we mean is that you should really just do whatever works best for you, right? Like despite what people might say, just do what works best for you. So in all of these cases, which which includes even code organization, right? Where do you put any given piece of code, sometimes that does really matter. And sometimes just like, should I put this thing in the same file or should I put it in a different file? Some of these ideas are, again, doesn't really matter, but I'm sure you'll hear, you know, at least N plus one opinions about where where to put a certain thing uh, within your project overall. 
Right. And um, maybe jumping forward into the, the next level of this debate is when we say what works best for you, that can be for very large values of you, meaning <laughs> right. sometimes you're working with other developers on these things and each of you may have opinions about how they, they should be done and they may differ. And what do we do about that kind of situation, Ben? Right. So, uh, like I said, I have kind of recently come around to using sort of a mixture of indentation styles, and I find that works best for me. But what I would not do is I would not necessarily impose that in code that I write on a project that I work on with multiple people unless we all agreed that we wanted to do it that way, right? Like, that's 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 when it becomes unfair for you to take your personal opinions about these things and impose them on your team um, because for one thing, you'll end up with four different ways to do indentation and, and three different kinds of spacing, and and pretty soon the code becomes kind of a mess because it's you're, it's trying to conform to several different conventions, and then there is no convention there, right? It just sort of it just sort of becomes a mess. And you you can also see churn sometimes in uh, in like Git commits where different people will have their editors set up to just automatically when you save a file snap everything to my chosen level of indentation and replace all those stupid tab characters with my beloved spaces. And, and then you might have two different people editing the same file at different times and changing just one line at a time as far as anyone reading it as a human being can see. But then in the in the git diff where it shows you everything that has changed, you'll see the entire file has essentially been replaced <laughs> right. as far as git is concerned because, well, there used to be tab characters. And now there's space characters. And so when you try to read through when you're doing a code review, you you completely miss the actual change because you're just seeing line after line of there was a tab, now there's spaces. There were tab, now there's spaces. And so it, it really gets this kind of like thrashing back and forth of, of dueling uh, trivia. There were 300 deletions and 301 insertions. And you're like, right. what just happened? Like right. Only really one line of cone change, but then there were 300 times where they moved a brace, and therefore, as far as Git is concerned, it thinks it's a complete it's a total change. It's a big deal, total rewrite, yeah. Right, yeah. So that's something that you definitely don't want uh, for many reasons, because obviously you don't want to be fighting other people's conventions in the code. And then secondarily, you don't want all of that essentially garbage to appear in your Git history, right? Because that isn't, while that is a lot of text to, to read through and understand, Ultimately, it boils down to I changed a single line of code, right? Yeah. That's the that's the material change that occurred. Right. And you don't um, want to and, hide that information. Right, exactly. So that's what we say when we mean, you know, for large values of you, you want to be careful about how you choose to impose these different um, organizational ideas because you can end up actually kind of making your project worse overall by having this kind of constant fight with your with your team about how things should go. So um, something that you can do to kind of help combat this is to develop a style guide. Uh, and a lot of companies, a lot of big companies will have them. Um, we'll put uh, some different popular style guides in the show notes. There's a couple different ones that are popular in the Swift world. I'm sure there probably are at least a few sure. uh, that are popular in the JavaScript world. So we'll, we'll throw a couple of the different links in the show notes for you so you can take a look at those. Um, but what they do is they specify things like we, and we, when I say we, I mean like the, the company, the team, the organization that's working on the code, we as a group have decided that we're going to use spaces for indentation and we're going to use two of them. Right, as uh, God intended. 
Right. We're, <laughs> or we're gonna and we're gonna use almond bracing and we're gonna use. Uh. Uh, <laughs> see, there we go. Right. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna use uh, various. You know, we're gonna have um, like in Swift, we're gonna have uh, protocol conformance happen in extensions, and we're just gonna we're gonna create a set of rules basically around how we choose to style and write our code so that it is consistent not because necessarily they want to you know impose this this uh this yoke on you if you don't like the way that it is Um, but mostly it's about trying to create consistency so that everyone can just sort of agree on how we're going to do things and then everyone works to that standard and then that way the code is one cohesive unit even though six people have worked on it rather than it's clear that it's a collection of six different opinions about how to do something and it just becomes kind of a mess. Right. The, the consistency, it's really hard to overstate how valuable that is, especially if you're used to being kind of a, a hobbyist programmer, working on stuff on your own uh, and just reading what you've written in your own idiom. That's fairly straightforward to get through. But if you have to digest six different approaches of doing things, even if they're different in subtle ways, it's a lot of mental overhead that can be eliminated if everybody just agrees we're all going to do Almond and we're all going to have <laughs> two characters. I mean, you know, everybody has these opinions, but it turns out you, you get used to whatever the consensus is pretty quickly, and then you get the benefits of only having to deal with the one way of doing things and only reading the one way of doing things. Right. And being a new developer, being a student, being someone who might be self-teaching, you know, the these ideas to themselves, um, you are basically consistent by default if you work by yourself, right? Because well, you, you well, know, I guess maybe we, not. We say that I'm sure you remember having students who just, uh, they, I mean, you have so much, so many different concepts to deal with when you're first beginning to write code, and sometimes things like indentation doesn't make the cut of something you're concerned right. about. Right, that's, so that's true. We would occasionally uh, get homework assignments that really looked like that middle passage from The Shining, where there's just kind of things all over, <laughs> and then maybe there's a wall of text for a little bit, and then they decide they're going to indent every other line, and just you know, it, it really looks like the work of a raving lunatic. But it's someone who's who's trying their best, and they grow out of it. But at at certain levels, you just don't realize how important it is. Is this your assignment or is this a ransom note? Like, what, <laughs> what have you given me? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, when you're writing something, and I can remember doing that at different points. You might be, like, rearranging uh, the orders of things, and maybe you had it indented properly. But when you rearranged, you kept, like, the old level of indentation, which was no longer appropriate for the new, like, line that was on in the file. And so you can kind of devolve into ransom note looking code pretty quick if you're not careful about it, or if you don't have uh, other ways of helping you out, which we'll talk about in a minute. So I guess what I should amend my statement by saying maybe not not consistent by default, but sort of consistent to your own style, whatever that might be. And even oh, yeah. if that style's a little messy, at least it is sort of internally right. consistent with itself. Right. It looks Whereas, like at least w- one ransom note. <laughs> right, exactly. Not multiple people's ransom note, which would be truly terrifying. Um, <laughs> but but once you start working on a team, you have to you do have to make some kind of an effort to coordinate these ideas with each other so that you end up with a consistent uh, look and feel for your code. Um, and, and oftentimes a style guide is, is one, it's one way to do it. You don't necessarily need all of that, uh, that cruft if it's a smaller team. Um, but a lot of companies do like to do that. So when you, when you get into your job, something you can actually ask, ask about is if they have a style guide for their, uh, for their code and, and what that looks like and, and how they follow it. 
Um, and like I said, we will post some uh, some links in the show notes that you can take a look at some if, if you'd like. They typically tend to be quite long because they want to cover all the different all aspects All the different, yeah. And, you know, we're concerned about edge cases as developers, and there turned out to be a lot of edge cases in how you write your code. Right. So so I would encourage you, whenever you're looking at a style guide, don't necessarily feel like, I have to read this, like the whole thing. Um, treat it more like a reference guide, and, and hopefully it should be set up in that way where uh, you can kind of look something up, like how does indentation work, or how does... You know, how does this or that work? And you can kind of look it up and, and find the solution rather than reading it as a as a, a novel, right? That's that's that would be probably not very not very interesting or, or useful. And you know, the the good news is I think for a lot of these kind of d- debates, we're living in a golden age right now where it, very early on everybody had their own opinion and they'd write stuff on their own and they'd basically they'd have to make their own mind up as they were typing how it was gonna look and then that was done. And then people realized, well, wait a minute, we ought to have consensus. And that's where these style guides came from was the way people normally do consensus about any kind of thing. You write a list of rules, but then everybody has to look at the list of rules and make sure the the same way that you learned, as Ben was saying, grammar and syntax in, in elementary school. You'd have to like look at the rules and memorize the rules and then make sure that you were you were writing according to the rules. And then came uh, one of the great developments people looked at these style guides and realized, wait a minute, these are rules for how we are supposed to behave in a text editor, which is a computer program. If we could add rules to the computer program, <laughs> does that, would that even be possible? And it turns out, of course, it is, because that's all you do with, with, with computer tools. And so people figured out how to start automating the use of these style guides and just tell the text editor, you know, feed it the rules of the style guide about... Anytime I go onto a new line under these circumstances, if the last line started with an if, then make sure the next line is indented by whatever I've set the indentation to be, and and a hundred different things like that. And oh, it's glorious, isn't it? Do you, you have that kind of thing in Swift? Oh yeah, the Xcode is very good about about helping you with that kind of stuff, and and it's it's great. Um, it, it turns out that computers are terrible at kind of interpreting things that are fuzzy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, if it had to make a judgment call, it would be bad nope, at it, right? can't do it. But these rules are not like that. These are just like if you're going to do indentation, you do two spaces or you do one tab or whatever it is that you have it set to, right? And so since the rule is the same every time, the computer is great at that. It can follow directions really well. Even if it's a lot of directions like one of these lengthy, lengthy style guides Ben was talking about. Right. So that, that's a that's something that we've really, I think, benefited from in the last probably, I mean, 20 years for sure. But like it's really kind of ramped up in like the last 10 where pretty much now any kind of code you write more or less, there's probably a tool somewhere that can help you write that more efficiently. So like on in iOS, we use a tool called Xcode. It's an IDE, an integrated development environment. Um, and it's it's written by Apple and it's designed to make Apple software. So uh, Mac apps, iOS apps, watch apps, whatever. Um, and it has a lot of really great tools to not only help you um, write the code and make it look like it's supposed to look, so things like indentation and bracing and stuff, but it even uh, goes even further and helps you do things like code completion, right? So if you're typing in the name of a method, it will help you you know, write that in. So in, in kind of all aspects of writing code, um, it follows all these rules and it can help you, um, you know, make sure that you write Basically, write the code correctly the first time, which is super helpful because back in the day, you used to have to um, used to have to kind of that that cycle of like writing the code and then figuring out if you've written the code correctly is was much longer. I mean, my my dad's told me stories 
about being in, in school in the 80s and having to uh, – to I mean he he came in on the very end of punch cards which were these <laughs> you literally had to, you like had to load these cards into the computer and then it would read them and then it would run it and so you have to he had to do all of that work give it to this person they would load the cards into the computer and then there would be a queue in the computer for stuff to run and there'd be 40 people in the lab right so you'd be like well you're number 36 so once the computer manages to churn through all these programs we'll give you a little piece of paper that tells you what your program you know whether it worked or not and like that was the cycle, right? That was the cycle before, and now our cycle is just—it's instant. And you know, like you said, you, you write, you write a line, and you you type if you put in your conditional, you, you enter an opening brace, and you hit enter, and it automatically enters the closing brace for you, and you just keep on typing, and it it tells you immediately if the code is right or not. So, uh, in in all aspects, both from a syntax and grammar point of view, and also from even a lot of these more these these fuzzier rules, um, they they're fuzzy maybe in the sense that the humans can't all decide what to do, which way to go. But as long as you give the the computer um, specific outcomes, it's great at 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 doing that for you. And you know, you're talking about uh, this being revolutionized within the past ten years. And I think in the JavaScript community, I'm thinking more like the last three years. I just looked it up, and um, Prettier, which is the, I think by this point the default in in the front end space as a code formatting tool that uh, you can configure and basically any text editor you might use to say, when I save this file, or I think maybe even while you're editing the file, uh, feed what I'm doing into the, the prettier algorithm basically, and it will go through a set of rules that it has internally and you can modify those if you want to. That's probably a bad idea, just take the defaults and say, all right, the code is supposed to follow all of these things. It's supposed to, again, have this much spacing and bases should be on this line under these circumstances and should only be this many characters long before I break it up and here's how I break it up and just a bunch of different things. And it's really revolutionized, I think, how people write, especially for newer people, that the kind of uh, neophyte I was talking before who would just get, uh, get swept away with other concerns than formatting stuff properly can now continue to do that while he or she is writing, but then press save and suddenly prettier. It's like one of those uh, home remodeling shows where they do the before after picture of, you know, before it's this decrepit, almost condemned space. And then afterwards, you know, it has the open floor plan and the, the, the uh, farm style kitchen and everything is just gorgeous. And you really see that kind of turnaround in your code. You get just awful mess while you're kind of working and, and fiddling and, and putting things where they don't belong. And then you hit save and hand it over to Prettier and it lives up to its name. Everything comes out just so and very neatly, nicely shaped. Right. While you were uh, while you were talking, I looked up the indentation style uh, article on Wikipedia so we could put it in the show notes. There are there are just in this one article, there are nine different indentation styles that it lists. Oh, God. And within the K and R style, there are six variants. <laughs> so yeah, so that's what we mean by this kind of thing, right? Like everybody has an opinion about these things, and you you think it would be uncontroversial, but it actually oh you is know what so it, controversial. You know, it would be terrifying to open up the revision history to that article and see oh, how yeah. many people have expressed strongly held opinions over the right. past ten or fifteen years. Well, and 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 in in Wikipedia's uh, fashion, right, where they where they try to make make it clear that it's obviously a, a crowdsourced side of information and they often will put up little warnings if they if you know if people feel like it's not 
yeah. accurate or whatever. Yeah. So at the very beginning of this article, it says, this article needs additional citations for verification. <laughs> Please help improve this article by adding, you know, it gives you some some suggestions for how to help it. But basically it's saying like, people don't agree, <laughs> so we need additional citations. You'd never know if you were not in the industry, but this is the kind of thing I'm almost surprised they don't have it locked the same way that they <laughs> right. do for like presidential candidates and stuff, where everyone right. is very, very strong opinions one way or the other. People feel that strongly about tabs versus spaces. Right, which seems ridiculous, and I want to be clear, it is ridiculous. Yeah, um, and, I, I, and I want to be clear, spaces, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's these are just the kind of things you'll have to deal with as a developer. Um, and we love to sort of endlessly argue about it. And and what we want to make clear in this episode as, you know, as educators is that everyone will have an opinion about these things. And it is important that you uh, can kind of differentiate between things that are fully required, things like syntax, things that are kind of convention and things that are just one person's opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that we've talked enough about convention yet. Right. So let's let's talk about convention a little bit. Um, we, we've got things that you must do, right? And then kind of the next level of things, I think, really are things that you maybe should do or things that are mm. uh, just uh, – not that you have to – and you you can choose to go against the grain if you'd like, but it is a thing that is kind of agreed upon by the community at large – that it's become a it's kind of bubbled up to become a best practice, um, and so it's the thing that most people that use your software that use your your particular language choose to do as far as organization. Uh, and if you follow the same convention, uh, there are various benefits there to doing it um, to yourself, and then also you know you are your code is more integratable more easily into other people's code because everyone kind of follows that rule. So. There are there are things that uh, you don't again by any means have to do this, but it kind of has become the the thing that most people choose to do. So, like for, as an example, and I don't know, I don't actually know how widespread this is, but it does seem to become it does seem to be sort of a growing convention. And I'm sure I'm going to say this, and then people who listen to this show are going to argue <laughs> with me about that not being the case because this is how this goes. But um, as a convention in iOS development, we've kind of um, rallied around this idea to take protocol conformance, which I'm not going to get into what that is because it's not, that's not what this show is for. But protocol conformance is typically um, performed in an extension to the type that you're working with. And what that really just means is that you take certain pieces of code and you separate it visually in the file from the sort of main part of that particular piece of code. Okay. Um, and so it kind of gives it its own separate prominence, um, and it makes it uh, the the benefits here are makes it easier to find because it's kind of off by itself, um, and it is typically more sort of self documented. Um, you, you, if you do it this way, you typically need to write less, you know, fewer comments because rather than kind of taking this collection of things and mixing it in with the rest of your code, you're separating it out. And so therefore, because it's separate, it kind of, it, it's self-documented, right? Like it's, this is, this is all of the code that is dealing with this particular protocol. Um, and so you don't need quite as much um, uh, comment around that to, to make that clear. Um, so again, not anything that you have to do, the compiler will be happy for you to just mix it all together. Um, but it's something that kind of has become a uh, somewhat of a standard I mean, more people are doing it that way, and 
And so, and and there are, aside from being part of the group, right, being someone that does it the same way that everyone else does, there are actual real benefits to doing it that way. That's why it's a best practice, right? So I don't just mean something that, uh, again, one person thinks is a good idea, but that it has concrete benefits to doing it one way versus a different way. So do you have something like that in JavaScript that's kind of similar? You know, the actually, the first thing that comes to mind for me is not JavaScript, but Ruby, my or my initial language, my, my yeah. first love, right? which uh, for blocks of code in Ruby, you can often choose between saying, I want to begin with the word, the keyword do, and end it with the keyword end, or I could use the curly braces for the same purpose. And as far as language is concerned, those are, as far as I can recall, always identical. But what people have fallen into doing as a convention is if the the code that you're writing could all fit on one line, then you use the braces. And if it's multiple lines, then you use do and end. Okay. And the computer doesn't care, but everybody writing Ruby code does it that way. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's an example of you can choose to follow, to not, to not follow that convention. But, but then you're a weirdo and you'll but be But then shunned. you're a weirdo, right? <laughs> you know, we're obviously kidding, but, but, uh, I think, there, I, I feel like you could make an argument that there are benefits to doing that that have nothing to do with everyone else does this, right? Like that is that should not be enough of a reason. I don't feel like that's enough of a reason to me to to adopt a convention. Everyone else does it this way. Like why, right? Why is it? Do, and and to me, it sounds like knowing very little about Ruby. It sounds like it makes it super clear uh, as you're reading your code. If yes. you see braces, well, I only should I should only find a single line worth of code here. Whereas if I see do and end, it's like, okay, well, that's this is a, a clearly a block of instructions. Yeah, and I think that, that kind of derives, that's a benefit that derives from the fact that everybody does it that way, is everybody is trained to read it that way. So, yes, it, it certainly plays into it, but um, but I think the reason why everyone does it that way is because it is clear, right? Like, it's, they, they kind of... Right, like it's a, a chicken and egg. Yeah, yeah kind, of a, kind of a benefit. Um, so, and the same thing is true for the extension thing. If, you know, the more people do that with protocol conformance, the more that it becomes the standard and then the more it's like, okay, we're doing it that way because everyone does it that way and everyone does it that way because it's clear. Like it, it right. creates this nice... A virtuous cycle. Virtuous cycle. Um, and that's the kind of thing that really uh, really kind of can, can, enhance your, can enhance your code um, even though the compiler or the interpreter or whatever is reading the code on the computer doesn't really care which one you choose. Like it's like, yeah, you can, you know, in, in, in languages that are not white space dependent, you can just cram all your characters together into one giant blob. It doesn't, it doesn't right. the computer right. doesn't care, right? And, and then you're a Perl developer. <laughs> no offense to the Perl developers out there. Um, Hi, Grandpa. Uh, yeah, my dad uses it all the time. Oh, sure. Uh, so, um, but anyway, uh, that would be fine to the computer, but it would be terrible in general to the humans because we just don't read things that way, right? So so most of these ideas are are actually not things that generally benefit the computer they are mostly things that benefit the humans and i think that's just as important of a concern right like as making it as optimized as possible is important you know for the computer to efficiently execute it but at the same time if we can't read it it's it's not going to be sustainable um as a piece of software so uh these ideas here are all kind of uh dancing around that that concern which is to make sure that the humans can read and understand it efficiently Another interesting thing that I think comes up in the line of conventions is there are some conventions that are oddly language specific 
even when they're dealing with the same concepts and, and things specifically of things like Pascal case versus camel case versus snake case, have you run into each of those? I actually don't know what Pascal case is, but I've obviously know the language Pascal, but I don't I don't know what that the casing style is there. But I have certainly heard of camel case and snake case. Um, in iOS uh, and in Swift, we use camel case for things like variables and stuff. And so for those that don't know camel case, the idea is that it's named after the animal um, because it sort of kind of looks like a camel. A little bit. The way that you do it is you if you have let's say a two word uh, variable name, and you can't have spaces. Right. Or let's say let's say we have a variable called model view conversation. So and you can't have spaces. So you would have the word model with a little m, a, small, a lowercase m. You would then immediately follow it with um, with view, and the v and v would be capitalized, and then the um, c in conversation would also be capitalized. And what it does is it kind of uh, gives your brain a way to visually separate the words in the absence of a space. Um, so that it still makes it readable as a phrase, even though it's all kind of smushed together. Um, and, and it's named that because those capital letters kind of resemble the hump of a camel. Right. With, with a very long variable name, they probably could have gone with like Loch Ness case to say that there are a lot <laughs> right. of bombs right. all along. Yeah. Um, so that's camel case. And then snake case is doing the exact same kind of having the same problem space, which is having a multi-word phrase for a variable, a variable. name. Um, but rather than using capital letters you simply separate the words with with underscores the underscore character and so it kind of resembles a snake sort of the the back and forth of a of a snake's body um again doesn't typically does not matter at all to the compiler or to the computer um that's reading the code that's just for the humans uh to understand it better um and whether you choose to use one or the other you could totally use snake case in swift and it wouldn't matter but the thing is nobody does that no one does it's a convention Everyone in Swift uses uh, uses camel case. So what what is, by the way, what is Pascal case? How is that different? Pascal case I just ran across this week. It's uh, the same as camel case, except the very initial letter is also capitalized, which is something that that gets it into a little bit different area, right? Because sometimes in languages, having the initial letter capitalized has meaning to the computer. Right, right. So like in Swift, we use, that. I guess we would call it Pascal case. We use Pascal case for... Uh, type name. So if you're going to name a, a class or a struct or an enum, you would use the same convention. It's all smushed together. The first letter of each character, each word is capitalized, but that includes the first letter of the first word. If I recall correctly, I don't believe the compiler cares, but that is an important differentiator for the human because that way when you see that thing listed somewhere in your code, you know this is a type because it's using this uh, this typing, this convention for for naming. So it is still very important. Um, it's something that we need to use to kind of differentiate those things. But you're right. Sometimes the, the computer actually does literally care and uses that as a as a delineator between one kind of thing and another kind of thing. JavaScript, I believe, follows the same convention, right? It's it's is it is it camel case for variables and yep. Pascal for types? Pa yeah, Pascal for well for classes since JavaScript itself doesn't have types. Uh, TypeScript is, I believe, Pascal case for that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, so it, it just depends on on uh, what you're doing. And like as an example, um, something that we run into all the time as iOS developers is uh, typically web APIs. These are uh, systems that you might talk to other computers that are on the internet that you might talk to from your iOS app. Um, and so you'll get a uh, a piece of data back from the from that computer, and you want to then integrate it into your own code, uh, into your own you know app that's running. 
and the general convention for uh, JSON keys, which are JavaScript object notation. It's a way to to pass data around between different computers. Um, the convention for keys that go that are that define different values inside that data is typically to use snake case for those. Um, and yet we use camel case in in Swift, um, and so we actually have to be able to see and and identify those keys, um, and then uh, equate or or um, compare them with similar keys that we might create in our own code to match, um, but yet they don't have the same uh, the naming convention, right? They don't have the exact same characters. So uh, because it's such a common problem um, in the way that we interpret JSON in Swift, we actually have something built in that will automatically convert snake case uh. variable names into camel case variable names. So there is an example where uh, it was such an important um, need that we had, and, and we sort of had to have these mitigation strategies we had to write ourselves to solve this problem that eventually Apple was like, let's just build this into the, <laughs> into the decoder so that right. it can just automatically convert from, because again, it is, while it is, it doesn't really matter to the computer. Um, it is a rule that can be easily interpreted and followed by the computer, right? Like just take all the underscores, get rid of them and then capitalize the next letter and you've converted it. Right. So that's it's like a, a week it's, one homework assignment, right? You right. It's a thing. People. Yeah, it's a thing the computer can do in no time, right? It's 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 an easy rule to follow. So that's an example of something that that uh, could be tedious for us to do, and it turns out to be really really easy for the computer to do. So there are some conventions and practices that grow up around conventions to kind of facilitate their use. Uh, how about things that are completely individual that you get to do just on your own, and no one can say a word? Right. So we're talking I mean, about people things. will say a word, but you don't. Well, of course have to they will. To <laughs> of course they will, right? Because they have an opinion about everything. But um, so things like color schemes, right? Like which colors do you choose to use to identify your um, the various kind of parts of your code? How do you choose to color the background? Uh, do, you, do you like a dark theme? Do you like a light theme? Do you like a solarized theme? That that seems like solarized is a very popular. Oh, uh, solarized is out. Yeah. To to uh, to color your your editor window. Um, and this is something that is just really a deeply personal um, thing, right? Like you may love Solarized and I may love a dark theme or even a light theme. I, I, I mostly don't like light themes because they just sort of... They feel jarring. glary. Yeah. They feel glaring. Um, and staring at it for a long time just makes it worse. Uh, but some people love that, right? They love having it to be nice and bright and super high contrast. Um, Maybe, like, I bet the Linux guys up in Finland, they probably like the, the lighter themes because it's the only time they get to see light through most right. of the year. Right. Yeah, so it's just, it really depends on what uh, what works best for you. And these are items that really don't even necessarily affect anyone else, right? So how you choose, like, what font do you want to have your code displayed in? Um, people have lots of opinions about that. Like, they do. Uh, I feel like as a convention... Typically, you use what are called monospaced fonts when you write code because a monospaced font is one where the, every character in the font is the same width. And you might think, well, what does that matter? Uh, what it does is it creates kind of a grid on your, on your screen of code so that stuff lines up the same no matter what letters are being used or what characters are being used to express that particular piece of code. Um, and if you use a non-monospaced font, like, for example, Helvetica, just as an example, is a, a font that does not follow, it's not monospaced. So the width of certain, like an L, a lowercase L, um, is not the same width as a lowercase H. Because as you can see from 
the shapes of them. They are, you know, one is literally wider than the other. And so you end up with things not lining up. And I've seen people write code in non-monospaced fonts and they what? think it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen it. Um, and you know what? If it works for you, great. I, it just makes my it just it just gets me all upset when I see stuff like that. For for me, like if I were to write code, I mean I don't care. You can write code however you want, but for me, I I need it to be sort of a particular look and feel, um, and that's what we're talking about here. Things that really don't matter to anyone else, just you, um, and and yet even though it is even lower impact to people. They will have their opinions. Like we just both kind of reviled in disgust at the idea of using Helvetica for a not. And the reason these things don't matter is that unlike, say, in a Word document, if you write it and you choose your fonts and you choose how big the headings are and what color things will be, if you then save that and pass it off to somebody else, they'll open it in Word and they'll see whatever font choices you made and whatever color choices you've made, they're going to have to deal with but with computer code for again any language i can think of it's the text editor that's generally installed on your computer is sort of making the decisions or interpreting your decisions about how big should the font be and the colors and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then when you save that piece of code and send that off to somebody else the other developer is going to open it in their own editor and see their own choices for that kind of right thing. right yeah so that's the, that's the nice thing about this is that, you know, there are lots of choices to make and they're typically very personal choices about what you like. But the good thing is you don't have to impose it on anyone else because it will follow you and your editor and not follow the code. Right. Until you get into pair programming and then someone will say, what is this nonsense, this hellscape of <laughs> uh, non-monospaced fonts? Right, right. And you I rebuke weird, thee. You, you have this weird off yellow background and these strange <laughs> colors. What's wrong with you? Right. Um, Eight yeah. point font. What are you, seven years old? How can you read something that small? <laughs> exactly. But again, these are things that are, are, are personal choices and don't ever let anyone kind of shame you into sure. Using something else, right? It's it's whatever works best for you, and however you can most efficiently write code. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the last level um, of of these things. And that's... Uh, but actually, before we get to that, a, a yeah. cautionary word about these very personal things: because people have such strong opinions on them, it can be possible, and I admit to this myself, to decide that they're the most important thing and certainly worth like half a week of your time to go through and find the color scheme that is just so among the thousands of them that are out there for every editor. Um, look at a handful, pick one you like. You're not getting married to your, your font choices. Find find something that's okay and then work with it until it, it, if it becomes just uh, a source of agony every morning, then pick another one that's kind of okay. But don't look for the perfect one because it's just it's a time suck that can go on forever. Right. You'll be burdened with choice and then you'll just be, <laughs> you'll never make a decision. I recently had to convert from, uh, I didn't have to, but I chose to convert from Bash, which is one way of, of working with the terminal on the Mac, to uh, ZSH because in Catalina, the latest version of macOS, Apple has decided to switch the default from Bash oh, to ZSH. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to you don't have to do this, but because it became the new default, I was like, you know what? People have been telling me that ZSH is great. Let me go ahead and convert to this different shell and and see how it is. And of course, I immediately hated it because all my aliases were gone and the font looked the 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 prompt looked different and whatever. Um, and so I was just like, I was I I just recoiled in 
in in disgust and was like, no, I'm I I'm not doing this. I'm going to go back to Bash, right? Um, but I was like, no, no, let's just take a minute and see if I can kind of get it the way that I want. And so I, I installed Oh My ZSH. It's a, yep. an open source tool that helps you to kind of style to customize your... everything about yeah. the environment. Yes. And by the way, Bash versus ZSH, we're talking about uh, when you open up a terminal and you're working with the command line is the other name. These are sort of, I don't even know how exactly to, to describe these programs, but they're like the thing that powers that thing. Yeah, I think people call them an, an environment because it's kind of the the space that you work in and, and the tools that are available to you to manipulate files and that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but they're they're called shells. That's that's mm-hmm. it's a, that's the, a, SH the SH right? Yeah, the SH part. Um, so anyway, uh, installed Oh My ZSH, which is an open source tool that helps you customize it. Uh, and then turns out that that tool has like a theme chooser. And as you just stated, there were like literally hundreds, if not thousands, of of themes that you can choose from. Uh, and so I um, and I and I went to a website where they had screenshots of the various uh-huh. and things, and I just started scrolling, and I was like, "This is going to take forever. I'm yeah, I'm never going to be." So I decided, you know what? I'm going to look at the first like twenty and just pick one. I don't is it the, is it the best one? I don't know, but I'm just going to pick one and we'll go from there. So I picked one, installed it. I was able to figure out how to move all my aliases over, and so I now have an environment that I can work in. That uh, that works like I want it to work, um, and and it's all good, right? I can kind of, I'm like, okay, cool. I've I've moved to ZSH, no big deal. Um, I'm kind of back. I, it's not the same, but I'm I'm back to sort of the same um, level of productivity, and and I've decided that's good enough for me, right? Yes, so, it is. So rather than like you were saying, kind of, I could endlessly go through trying to make that perfect, but that's that's just that's just navel gazing at that point right it's not yeah, it really that's, that's not uh, productive so good enough and same thing really with with your choice of text editor and with your choice of extensions and things to help out working within different languages or frameworks and things within your text editor uh people have strong opinions about all that stuff and again pick one try it for a while like ben did with zsh and if it turns out to be good enough, just stick with that. And then if later someone tells you about something else that turns out to be amazing, give it a try. And if you like it better, switch to that. I mean, it's not it's not like it you again, you're not like you like you said, Brian, you're not marrying any of this stuff. You don't have you're not stuck with this forever. Uh do do what works for you and, and as your needs change, as your as your development style changes and as you gain experience, you may decide that the tool that you are using no longer works for you and you need to move to a new tool, it's totally fine. Not a big deal. All right, so let's talk about the kind of the last level here. Um, we've talked about things that you must do, that syntax, grammar, that kind of stuff, stuff that the, the language itself is going to enforce upon you. We have things that are convention where it is not required to make the code work, but it is kind of the thing that most people do, and it, and there typically are good reasons on their own for for doing them. Things like you said with the, the, the braces and the do end in Ruby, right? Not required, but it is a convention for a reason because it does kind of increase readability of your code. Um, the last level of things, uh, and I feel like for the most part, the things we just talked about kind of fall into this into this category, are basically what I like to call just one person's opinion, <laughs> right? So it's it's a it's it's a thing that that you might choose to do or follow a convention, you know, a style convention or something, um, but it is the the consensus is much lower, right? Like 
you know, and the juicy... need for consensus is lower too. Right. So like braces and do end in, in Ruby, I feel like there's an argument to be made there that if most people do that, it, it there, there are benefits there that are obvious to most people who write Ruby. And so it's a good convention to follow. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of consensus around doing it. Whereas like what color scheme you want to use in your text editor, there's not really much, there's no con- consensus there and there doesn't need to be any consensus there. And it's just one person's opinion. So that's kind of what we're talking about here with this last category of things are it's things that are really not, um, there's no great stakes here, right? <laughs> like there's the, the outcome of one versus the other doesn't really matter. And it just kind of boils down to personal preference. And the reason why we bring this up at all is because I found this to be true in my career. And particularly when I've been helping and mentoring juniors is that as a group of people, if I'm talking about developers, we tend to be very strongly opinionated about these things. And, and while sometimes having a strong opinion about these things is good, um, you know, advocating for a certain outcome because it is genuinely better, we tend to take that strong opinion approach and apply it to everything. Yes. And that includes things like you must use a solarized scheme in your text editor for coloring. Like you must use this particular monospaced font. Like you mu- and, and they come out of our mouths as decrees or like this is how it should be done. Um, and I find that uh, as a, a developer who's been in the community quite a long time and, and you know, is used to these things, I I feel like I've developed a reasonable radar for when I, when I observe a new thing like this, I kind of categorize it. Is this a requirement? Is this a convention? Or is this one person's opinion? Um, and I feel like I have a decent radar on being able to, you know, tell which one is which. But in particular for juniors... Just like everything else, since you're new to this, you don't, you haven't yet really developed that fine-tuned radar on being able to tell which one is which, and you might end up falling into a scenario where you are being told this is how this is done, this is the way to do it. You must use Helvet. You must use, you know, uh, what is it? Um, uh, is it Menlo? I think I don't know. There's there's a there's a monospace font that's very popular, uh, and it's like you must use this one font right in your text editor for for seeing and visualizing your code. And without, um, you know, without that radar and out, without that experience, you might think that that is a, a full-blown requirement. And then you start doing it, and maybe you don't even like it. And then, you know, it just it makes your experience worse. And the only reason is because you just didn't realize that this is just one person's opinion. <laughs> so, you know, uh, having having that kind of building up that, that ability to differentiate, I think, is really important. Do you have any... Uh, advice on like how you might do that well for things that uh you mean identifying what kind of things are just one person's opinion or deciding which opinion yeah you want to to hold as your own (laughs) right maybe maybe kind of how how have you kind of dealt with that in your career um and and you know you were we like everyone we were all juniors once um so so what what experiences have you encountered where where maybe it wasn't totally clear, you know, which of the categories this thing fell under and, and, and like, how did you choose to kind of um, navigate that, I guess? Boy, that's an excellent question. I'm not sure as I was going through it that uh, I can remember when the the lines were fuzzy, you know, because it is the kind of thing I think that the lines start out fuzzy and gradually become clearer over time. And because it is a, a, a fuzzy and lengthy process, I, I have a hard time saying 
here's the moment when I realized something like that. So then maybe uh, what, um, what advice would you give to juniors about kind of how to, how to kind of build that gut check on like, is this good advice? Is this bad advice? Is this advice or is this, is this like a rule, right? I would say, okay, um, as you come across somebody who's well, holding forth right. on this kind of thing. Which you will. You definitely will. <laughs> probably, right, right. If that person has some uh, code written, some project that either you're part of or something maybe you import and use, um, take a look at it and you know look for instances of that rule, whether it's a variable name should be at least this long or this short or this many characters per line or yada, yada. You know, there's a million different things you can run into. Uh, take a look and kind of think, does it seem on initial check like this is something that makes the code easier to read or something that makes it harder or something that doesn't matter at all? And then based on that, either try following the advice or not and maybe keep in the back of your mind every couple of weeks, I'm going to try writing code using this rule on top of all the other stuff that uh, that's already built into my editor. And then think about it at the end of a week or two, did that help? And if so, keep doing it. And if not, chuck it. I love that. Yeah, I, I love that uh, kind of, uh, uh, tr not even trust, but verify, but like someone tells you a thing and you decide, let me look for real concrete uh, reasons why this is a good idea that aren't that do not include this person told me this is a good idea, right? Like, like find find reasons on your own uh, that that make that this rule improves your code in some concrete way. And if it doesn't, well, then maybe that's a clue to you that this this rule that someone presented to you as a rule is really just sort of that person's opinion. I really like that because uh, it it takes the onus off of kind of needing to simply sort of blindly trust that person and lets you, you know, make up your own mind about uh, whether it's a good idea or not. Do you have any moments in your career when you remember realizing, oh, wait, this actually doesn't matter. That was just that one person <laughs> telling me things had to be that way. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I started out doing Java and then, uh, and I was kind of in a eh, sort of a team-like environment in that case. Um, and really what I had... Uh, before that was just what I had learned in school about Java. So um, I didn't really have any real-world experience using Java. Um, and so I get, in, I get on this team, on this internship, and, uh, and, I, and I encounter a brand new, to me, code base that existed. It wasn't a, it wasn't a new app. It was one that existed, but it was new to me. Um, and I had to kind of learn what it did, right? And, and kind of go, it took me a couple of weeks, actually, to kind of dig through all of it and figure out what, what it did, um, and uh, and I feel like I do remember in in that process I was I was responsible to basically overhaul the whole thing and rewrite it um, pretty much from scratch. Um, and so I do remember um, kind of reading through it and understanding what it was doing. And then when I began to rewrite the code, um, uh, I kind of came to the realization that that I was like trying to write the code the new code in the same uh -huh. way that the old could have been written. That's how, like, well, how it's this, done. This yeah. already exists, right? And like, that's how it's done. And, and what, how, what do I know, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just a new developer with it doing an internship. Um, and what I kind of c concluded was ultimately, well, I'm rewriting it because it needs to be rewritten. It's there's, there's new inputs, there's new requirements. Um, and so I don't need to follow these conventions necessarily 
because it needs it needs to right. be different on purpose to serve a new to serve a new set of requirements. And that was a nice realization that that uh, I felt like I was maybe trying to kind of copy too much the the old style. And what I realized was that uh, that was just the style of the person who wrote it before, right? Like, and and I can choose to write it in a different way um, to serve these new needs. And and I don't need to stick to this convention because it turns out it's just that's what they that's the solution they came to at the time and it probably was it was probably a fine solution right but the, but the needs have changed and therefore the code needs to change as well all right i think that brings us to the end of i think we've settled the argument for once and all for all of these things <laughs> yes forevermore when no one will ever argue about these things again date which will be remembered forever in the annals of programming the day everybody agreed on spaces right <laughs> and k and r bracing i feel like we might get our first twitter feedback from this episode. yeah right yeah <laughs> go ahead all right. If um, people would like to find out how to reach us on Twitter and, and other uh, feedback channels that you can send death threats and hate mail and stuff, uh, how can how can they do that, Ben? Where can they go? What can they do? All the tab lovers can can send us their their vitriol. All the tab lovers, tab. Oh, that's the weakest kind of slur I've ever heard. Yep, tab. Tab lover. Uh, and all of this, just to be clear, we mean all this in, in good fun. Please feel free to use whatever convention you, you like sure. best uh, and whichever one works best for your language. Uh, so as far as finding us on the web, we are available at mvc.fm. You can find everything you know about the show, which includes all of the episodes, the, this current one and all the past ones. You can listen right on the page. We have all of our show notes available for each episode, which does, does typically include links. So anything we talked about today in the show, you can find links about that. We'll have things about indentation. We'll put some stuff in there about um, different style guides, stuff like that. So really good set of resources for you. MVC can be found basically anywhere podcasts are sold. So whatever kind of podcast app you use, just search for Model View Conversation. You should be able to find us. We are on Spotify. So if you use Spotify, please check us out there. If you use iTunes, like the Apple Podcast app, we'd love a rating and review that really helps us out. And lastly, to send us feedback, we're available on Twitter at MVC Podcast. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon.